笑着。Welcome back, listeners, to Toy Story Minute, the daily, but like five of the days, podcast <laughs> where we talk about Toy Story one minute at a time. I'm John. I'm Jeb, and we have here a special guest. Sully is here from the Sully Baseball Podcast. Hey, how are you? Yeah, I'm. I do my weekly podcast, Sully Baseball. I've been doing it for a long time.、It、used to be daily. Now we're doing it weekly, and pretty soon we're going to we're going to mix a few things up. We're going to create a new format of the show. That is going to be more interactive, like with phone calls and writing and stuff. So look for that to be launched sometime in June. But keep subscribing to Sully Baseball, and that's my podcast. And how are you? We're talking Toy Story. Yep, here <laughs>、so、we are. All right, all right. So today we're talking about Toy Story Minute Sixteen, which starts with Buzz wondering. Why Star Command isn't answering him, and ends with Woody confirming that yes, it is a mistake. Yes. Yeah. So、uh, let's get into it. Buzz is concerned,、mm-hmm. obviously, because he's marooned on this strange planet with its odd terrain. Bouncy, bouncy terrain. That's <laughs>、uh, that might be my favorite joke for this week. Is that the terrain is so strange and he bounces on yeah the bed, unstable. Yes, that's the word. <laughs> yeah, this、uh, this minute, of course, brings around one of the big questions that people have about the movie, which I I know I'm sure people brought it up already, but the whole question of Why doesn't Buzz know he's a toy? Buzz knows he's a toy to a degree, you know that it's like he will fall down once Andy comes in the room and everything. But he is acting, you know, as the cool new toy and really super into it. I kind of have one kind of weird theory, which is connected to a film which is not a kids' film, but it's I'm gonna、okay. I'm gonna <laughs> for those of you who haven't seen The Sixth Sense, turn oh turn okay. But you know how Bruce Willis only saw what he wanted to see, like he didn't see the bureau blocking the door. He didn't see like the stuff that would have tipped、right. off what the great twist was. It is said that、mm-hmm. he he consciously blotted that out, and maybe there's part of that going on with Buzz that he so wants to be this, he wants to be the reality of the box and the reality of Buzz, that he blocks out anything that would clue him in. So we can continue being the great toy and being the the great space ranger. And like with, I think that works. And like、yeah. with Sixth Sense, it took a cataclysmic event to make、mm-hmm. him finally see what the reality was. By that reckoning, it took him to be dragged in and see all the Buzz Lightyear toys on the, you know, in the commercial later on in the film. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then he, even then he had to undergo an injury. Right. Exactly. You know, I, that's always been the way that I've, I guess, rationalized it because I think this would, Toy Story to me is like the Wizard of Oz is like the Godfather. It's one of those films that will stand the test of time. I have two kids who are twelve、oh, years,、yeah. who were twelve years old, and they were, you know, they were born ten years after Toy Story came out, and Toy Story became their first favorite movie. You know, the fact of the matter is, this scene itself shows the thing that makes the film work on a primal level, and that is there are all sorts of toys that he interacts with that you don't have to be a child of the seventies, like I was a child in the seventies. You didn't have to. Be in the eighties. My kids were not kids of the nineties, and yet they all had toys. Some version, whether it was a dinosaur or a slinky or a piggy bank or、mm-hmm. a cowboy or a space toy, 
and there's always a point where the space toys overtake the cowboy toys. There's something primal mm-hmm. about it, and this film would have been ruined if they linked it into it's a Star Wars figure or it's a GI Joe right. or it's a Lone Ranger or something. If it, it was, if it locked into a specific time, and so when you see, it's all generalized. Yeah, it's a generalized, but that you with, with a few exceptions. You have Mr. Potato Head, you have the Etch a Sketch. Right. But those are yeah. also toys that survived the test of time, too. And so I think that this scene, which is – I'm so happy I have this scene because it's like the pivotal scene of the movie. And that is this strange – I had a film professor at NYU say there are only two stories. Stranger comes to town or The Journey. Those are the only two stories. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and this is definitely – it starts with a stranger comes to town and then goes into a journey with the whole ordeal of Sid's house. But the whole movie, the whole universe kicks off with the arrival of Buzz because there's an order to it. And Woody mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. at the top of the pyramid. And yep. the minute Buzz shows up, it's this seismic change of which he's no longer the top of the pyramid. It's of this moment see that happen and it's uh it's just primal and it's wonderful and it just shows this is the first scene where we really see that woody's kind of a jerk yeah oh yeah (laughs) well i do have some notes both on that and the thing with buzz not knowing he's a toy because we do see in toy story 2 that there are other buzz light years who have the same problem yeah the utility belt buzz and even the the zerg figurine kind of seems to not know right it's kind of unclear with him because he's a villain but it's Seems like he doesn't know he's a toy. And then the proposed early version of the third movie was was that Buzz was getting recalled. Yeah. Because there was some sort of problem. And I'm guessing it was something that just coincidentally meant that Buzz had uh, problems with his, I guess, mental health, you could call it, with his realizing his identity mm-hmm. and what he is. Woody is a real anti-hero in this movie. I mean, this movie is all about his character development. There is a thing that we'll talk about it at some point. We haven't really mentioned it much called the, the Black Friday reel. Right. Where in the early development of this movie, Jeffrey Katzenberg, who everyone knows now from DreamWorks, he was the head of Disney and kept wanting it to be more edgy. Yeah. And there are some really cringy early storyboards of basically Woody being a complete monster to all the other toys and intentionally trying to harm Buzz. I want to talk a little bit about Buzz's, the th- kind of some of the things he says before he and Woody meet. The breakage on the spaceship right. is not very major. It's just yeah. like a wing. It's it's one piece of tape, maybe. Right. Maybe a couple. And he says it'll take him weeks to repair. <laughs> yeah. I wonder how the side of the package got broken on an impact... On the down. front of yeah. the bed. Well, what uh, did we, maybe it was? Was there, there something before? wrong with the trajectory? You know, was it sort of did it spin the wrong way? I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm grasping at straws here. Well, maybe from his perspective, but I, I'm wondering how the kids who just got this toy buzz managed to rip the wing on the side. Are you a maybe father? Are you are you a father? Are you one? No, sir. Are either one of you dads? <laughs> no. Okay, well that's why you don't know. That's because yeah. my kids. <laughs> My kids can destroy, like, oh, how did this break? They just got it. I'm saying, oh, these are clearly not parents. 
These are clearly people <laughs> who don't understand. They, oh, I looked at that and said, well, of course. It's probably completely destroyed at this point. You know, if I think of a toy lasts a week, I'm like, oh, my God. This is a Cal Ripken-like streak. I can't believe that, <laughs> that it survived this long. This is what a great treat that we have here. Kids destroy things. That's fair. It's kind of impressive that Mr. Potato Head still has all his parts between Andy and Molly, who, you know, he gives his baby sister this toy with all these tiny parts that can easily be lost or choked on or whatever. Yeah, well, it's a different time. You know, we could, uh, we didn't have as much concern for children's safety back then, so. Yeah. It's a wonder <laughs> any of us are still alive. Oh, I yeah. have no clue how we're still alive, because as a parent <laughs> now, like, everything is a death trap. Everything is destroying this. This is a disaster. My kitchen is like the temple at the beginning of Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's just a death trap with booby <laughs> traps and things that could fall in the, from the sky. I don't understand how I lived, you know, as a child. It yeah. was just a complete calamity that I was able to make it. It was totally by chance. I think oh. about all the toys that had tiny parts that I had growing up, but I don't want to be one of these old farts like, in my day, you know, <laughs> in my day, there probably were a lot of kids who choked on it. There's probably a reason that we have this. So I did kind of do a nerdy mission here which is Buzz says that the star date is 4072. Oh, God. And I'm not really that big into Star Trek, but, like, I'm passingly familiar with it. Okay. And I know that's a Star Trek thing. So I found a calculator online that will tell you, if you put in any star date, when that would be in our timeline. Oh, good God. And yeah. star date 4072 <laughs> is January 27th, 2327. Oh. Because the star dates are individual days, and it starts in the future from now okay and it would be apparently at 6 43 a.m <laughs> so buds is from the future i i guess that's pretty obvious and yeah. there's there's actually quite a few star trek references in this minute the yeah. star trek minute guys requested a later minute but buzz also quotes them when he says there's no signs of intelligent life anywhere he's directly quoting captain kirk mm -hmm. right I also think that's something really smart that they did when they created Buzz, because he is kind of a hybrid of Star mm -hmm. Wars and Star Trek, in that it isn't, yeah. a, oh, yeah. it leans a little bit on both sides, the exploration side, the ranger side, but also Zerg is obviously a parody of Darth Vader, but they don't yeah. lean, it's what I was saying before, is by having that timeless sense of, for the lack of a better word, generalities that a lot yeah, of Yeah, he's make. kind of a, a sci-fi archetype. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe even closer to Buck uh, Rogers, maybe even closer to even something older, but every, whatever age, if you grew up on, remember, there was a period where there was no Star Wars. I know that's shocking. Even when I was, <laughs> yeah. when I was three or four years old, there was no Star Wars, but there was Star Trek. You had Star Trek figures, and I'm sure before Star mm -hmm. Trek, there mm -hmm. were Buck Rogers, and there's something that's the visceral thing that happened with this, and I think that you see there is a Shatner-like quality to his performance, Tim Allen's great performance, mm -hmm. that, you know, that plays that, and of course, he later did that in Galaxy Quest, too, you know, where he Yes, basically. we. I think we just named the two best Tim Allen performances. This, this, and <laughs> Galaxy Quest. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, he's great in it. Look, you gotta give Tim Allen credit where credits due. He's fantastic in that. But there's, yeah, there's something almost culturally. I got. I don't mean to go too deep into sociology on here, but there's almost oh, that's fine. There's that almost something yeah. culturally that happened in the '50s where there was a slow transition from fascination with the Wild West and the fascination with astronauts. And when you think about it... Oh, yeah, I mean... American mythology. What are the great American hero archetypes 
are the figure of, of the Wild West, and so that's why cowboys and cops and robbers, bandits and everything became so romanticized. Mm-hmm. And then the notion of astronauts, of which at first it was, we're going to go into space, and then when they really became astronauts in the early 60s, that it became this sense of, oh, we really are doing this. You saw <laughs> there was a fading out of the popularity of the Western. Eventually sci-fi took over. It's like on this bed are the clash of the two great American archetype heroes. The lone yeah, going we- of the Wild West or the astronaut going into deep space we've talked about how woody is kind of a surrogate father to andy since he doesn't have their his mom is a single mom woody is i mean they're both strong male archetypes has a lot to do when they were making this movie a lot of what they said john Lasseter and andrew stanton and all the the makers of this movie said things like it's kind of about the new and the old having to coexist it's about Mm -hmm. new and old hollywood originally they wanted Buzz to be Paul Newman, who is a much you know older actor, than to have Tom Hanks, who was the biggest movie star at the time. Mm-hmm. It provides this neat contrast, which is almost like flipped on its head because Woody's the older one right. than Buzz. It even works because they're both kind of father figures, where Buzz is kind of a more playful figure, even if it's because he's got this weird mental block, and Woody's the more serious one. Whereas if you look at maybe what Tim Allen, he does a lot of dad comedy and his other stuff, and oh, Tom Hanks, it. yeah, and Tom Hanks we've called everybody's dad. This is a very dad movie, so we're glad to have a dad on. Yeah, getting a new perspective instead of one from kids. Mm-hmm. And of of course, what was the other role that Tom Hanks played in a movie that year was Apollo 13. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Yeah, that was the same year, wasn't yeah. it? I know Don Rickles had a movie that came out the exact same day. Casino. As, as this one. Very different movie. Yeah. Kids, don't watch Casino. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of sci-fi concepts, we have this whole notion of hypersleep that Buzz brings up, which asks a lot of questions because not only is that a classic sci-fi thing that to travel long distances, you have to put the body in a state of unconsciousness for necessity's sake because mm-hmm. it's going to be years. Hypersleep specifically is, I think it's an alien reference, although it's a very general term. It's like a passenger's thing to be more, more current. More- yeah. Well, it also it also they that was in 2001: A Space Odyssey too. Mm-hmm. Sure was. Yeah, I think it's a sci-fi trope that they did. You know, and I think it's one of the things that they do throughout the course of the movie in that it's it's like a smorgasbord of sci-fi tropes because you don't want to lock it in too much. And sci-fi like westerns become malleable, and there are things like hyperspace and sleep and mm-hmm. everything you know adapt along with. And you have things that are a melding of the two. Like Joss Whedon worked on the script for this and he did firefly which is basically cowboys in space right there's a lot of crossover in the mm-hmm. in the genres too well, star wars is basically i mean they're both stuff. basically oh yeah just set in space yeah yeah, yeah. hypersleep kind of there's another uh, perspective from buzz's how buzz kind of is a meta textual toy he's for him in his fiction he was just asleep on a mission to go to sector 12 but within the movie he's kind of a newborn essentially yeah, yeah he he just woke up Probably for the first time, one would assume, because he's just coming out of his packaging. So hypersleep kind of could be metaphorically what you don't remember when you're a baby or something like that. It makes me think, do toys take consciousness when they come, maybe not when they come out of the package, because in Toy Story 2 we get evidence that some toys in the package might have self-consciousness. When do you think they wake up? When are they conscious? Because Buzz is also talking right away. Yeah. He, he has some knowledge pre-put into him. We see this with all the toys because Woody is, he's almost, he's pushing 50. Yeah. And Buzz is a newborn. All these toys are of varying ages. 
And yet, you know they have to have gotten some outside knowledge because Mr. Potato Head knows what Picasso is. Yeah, right. I think that we could get a little too down this rabbit hole. Yeah. That there's, <laughs> you almost want to scream Woody like, like this is Toy Story! <laughs> I think that there is there is something interesting, though, about the concept of Buzz being the ultimate play companion. That this is like, it's almost oh, like yeah. a Well, because he's playing too. That he's playing and he's in a perpetual state of play. He doesn't have a different personality. I mean, who knows what Bo Peep's personality right. is. When Andy plays with but her. But there is something... When he plays with her. There is something also a little, well, I don't want to say darker, but a commentary on how toys were manufactured and built for kids... Like, Andy created it. He had Woody, who we learn later mm-hmm. has a backstory from the television show. We learned that in Toy Story 2. But Andy right. doesn't yes. seem to play along with that. And he takes everything no. else, yes. whether it's the Slinky, whether it's Potato Head, sort of adapts it to a world that he creates. And then in comes... Yeah. A- I mean, he has Slinky as a villain. Right. When, when in the actual Andy's Room lifestyle, Slinky is one of Woody's best friends. Right. Yeah. But you also see that when Buzz comes in, it assigns a world to him. It assigns a backstory. Even the back of his box mm-hmm. says exactly what his backstory is. And it kind of reminds me mm-hmm. of the way that when I got Lego, it was just a big box of blocks. And sometimes you, would, oh, yeah. and sometimes you could use the instructions and build a house or build the castle but you also most of the time you just built whatever you want and now lego mm-hmm. is very specific oh yeah you are building a y-wing you are building this a specific thing right yeah and again not i'm not trying to be very this is the way very my day was better mm-hmm. but it's interesting that andy created the universe for everyone else and in comes someone who mm-hmm. is locked in to the point where he yep. can't even interact with the other toys as anything other than what it says on the box the only thing he could do is be uh buzz lightyear and say exactly what's on the box and do exactly what's on the thing there and not even he can't even adapt to this world he was thrown into and again i'm not trying to get mm-hmm. too down the um, proverbial rabbit hole in terms of the psychology but maybe that's the biggest question people have is why doesn't buzz know he's a toy and maybe that's mm-hmm. because the way we're aiming to teach kids how to play with toys is so one-sided, so narrow-minded, with one purpose, that it almost is in a position where you're like, yeah, even he, when Andy's not there, he can't move away from this mindset. This is something that will come up later in the movie, but from Buzz's perspective, this is such a weird planet for him, because imagine, you know, going on this planet full of all these different life forms, and then a giant comes in, and everybody freezes, and I think it was John Lasseter or Andrew Stanton, who said on Twitter in response to someone's question that the toys freezing is kind of an unconscious reaction. It's like fainting or it's like breathing where you can you can not do it, but it takes effort. Mm-hmm. So Buzz is already probably scared of these giants who play with him and realizes that everyone else is just playing along and just being completely still and just kind of goes with it. Because when in Rome, you... <laughs> You freeze around the giant children yep. playing with you. Yeah. Like most Pixar films, they work because there's something on the surface that we all see and that there's something going mm-hmm. on underneath it, which is one reason why I think that they're a masterpiece factory. Mm-hmm. Yep. That there's more to it going on than Ants or Shrek 2. That it's not just... And, and also one of the things that's so wonderful about it is that it's not filled with the pop culture references of the time. I mean, how depressing would this be if every Everything was referencing whatever was going on in 1995. If they were making spin doctors right. jokes oh, and 
something yeah, like, like a that. Shrek kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that is one thing that makes Shrek a much less deep film from the company that we shall not be named. Well, uh, the, I look the, at the, I think the, that it's, it's yeah. <laughs> it, it is Shrek is what it is. And Shrek is was fun. It was funny. We all enjoyed it when we saw it, but it also was clearly a middle finger to Disney and from all the DreamWorks people. Oh, yeah. I mean, yep. it, it is... It is a... I mean, we we'd already talked about Jeffrey Katzenberg coming off of Disney and saying, oh, they didn't like my ideas, well, I'll make my own. Yeah. Jeb and I, were 90s kids, so, like, to us, Shrek has this kind of place in our heads. It always has some nostalgia, but while it's a solid movie in itself, it is very much built on, oh, this is a joke for the adults that you might not understand, kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where Pixar, you know, Pixar will get, will do adult jokes sometime. I mean, in this movie there are some pretty dirty jokes but it's always working for everybody right and, and it's not, it's way less subversive i yeah. guess you could say which is has its good and bad points yeah but it, there was a period i just got out of college when this film came out and i was a huge pixar fan and i always felt like mm-hmm. i was a pixar fan the way that beatles fans who saw them in hamburg must have felt because i saw them <laughs> there used to be a thing in uh, my high school years i lived in palo alto California, and there was in our town at the Varsity Theater, at the Aquarius Theater, they have the Spike and Mike Animation Festival. And there would be all the, it would be once a year, there'd be all these cool animated films. And there would always be a few Pixar films in there. Oh, so you saw some of those shorts. On the Mm -hmm. big screen. I saw Luxo Jr., Tin Toy, Nick Nack. Tin Toy. Oh, nice. Yeah. Red's Dream, all that kind of, oh, wow. And there was always, when I saw Pixar, I was like, oh, cool. Because you knew, like, Nick Nack brought down the house. When they showed it in, I think mm-hmm. it was the 1989 or 1990 Spike and Mike Festival. And I knew who they were because I knew they were, Lasseter and all them worked at ILM and they did stuff for Return of the Jedi and then they... Yeah, they, I mean, the, this, the whole company kind of came out of George Lucas yeah. and m- basically making his own computer special effects company. Right, and I remember seeing those and think, oh, these things are so cool. And actually probably one of the, there was a, I struck up a conversation with a girl who was working at the shopping mall at the same time I was working at the shopping mall and she loved Pixar films too and so I made a I got a videotape of some of the Pixar films but it may have been a bootleg I don't know but I made a copy of it and I gave it to her which was as smooth mm-hmm. as I was in 1991 <laughs> but like when I heard there was there going to be a and they won an Academy Award Lasseter did for I think oh, yeah. for Tin Toy mm-hmm. we've looked into Tin Toy I mean we did a, a little bit of behind the scenes looking at Tin Toy because it's such a it is essentially the prequel to this movie. Yeah, it really is. And in so many ways, it's its spiritual cousin, uh, for the lack of a better word. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there you go. This movie started its life as a tin toy sequel that they then changed everything about except for the living toys concept. Yep. But I remember when I heard they were going to make a Pixar movie, like a feature-length movie, I remember thinking, this could mm-hmm. be great. Or this could be terrible. Is it going to be mm-hmm. something that is, there may be better in like five minute spurts and everything like that. And there was also, how are they going to render it out? Like, is it going to wind up looking like a video game eventually? And then I remember I saw it in a theater in New York. I was, at that time, I had finished college. I was living in Manhattan. And I went to go see it. And I just knew from the beginning of the movie, I said, I'm watching The Godfather. I'm watching Wizard of Oz. I'm watching... <laughs> Like, this is not just going to be, oh, they they did a good job. I'm watching an all-time classic. This and its sequel have 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. You would be hard-pressed to find somebody who didn't like Toy Story. Maybe Katzenberg. Yeah, well... (laughs) 
I'll tell you what, a strange thing I remember, because my senior year of college was 94, and 94 was a strange year, it was a, was a very good year for movie, but there was like, a lot of films were coming out that year, like, I, I'm not a big Forrest Gump fan at all, but like, Shawshank came out mm-hmm. that year, Hoop Dreams came out that year, Pulp Fiction came out that year, Quiz Show, which is a really underrated movie, Woody Allen's Bullets Over Broadway, which I think is his last great movie, it was like a lot of really great films came out like all at once. And they were like all adult films. They were all films for grown-ups. And then the very next year, two of the greatest family films of all time came out. Toy Story and Babe came out within a few months of each other. And I... And I remember both about things talking that shouldn't be talking. <laughs> but with both of those films, and it's funny because there was like another talking pig film called Gordy that came out around the same time, which is terrible. I remember that. But Babe... We had a VHS of that. But Babe was... I've never seen Gordy. Babe is a wonderful it's movie. It's a bo- Babe ripoff. Yeah, it's a Babe ripoff. And it shows you how good mm-hmm. Babe is. And then Toy Story right. is just so primal. You had all these films the year before that were edgy, cut with a knife. I mean, Pulp Fiction, the Quentin Tarantino-fication yep. of cinema came about with Pulp Fiction. And you did get to see, like, the next year you did see, like, Usual Suspects and some other films that had that hard edge quality to it. But... You had mm-hmm. Toy Story, which is just so sincere, but without it being saccharine. Oh, yeah. Pixar Absolutely. knows how to dance on that edge because, uh, I mean, every Pixar movie has genuine laughs. And with very few exceptions, they have, you know, moments that will tug at your heartstrings. Yep. Yeah. It's telling something that they didn't have a bad movie in their first, like, 15 years of making movies. Well, I, I called it they're, they're the I, Masterpiece Factory. I mean, if you write, oh, if, yeah. if you write a list of the best, let's just say the last twenty-five years. If you write a list of the best, of like the best of, animated, yeah. screw animated. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm talking movies. You, I mean, like of the last twenty-five oh, yeah, years. Absolutely. I mean, animated. That's like Michael Jordan taking on me. Yeah, you know, that's I, like Michael <laughs> Jordan playing baseball. Yeah. yeah <laughs> but this was like, if you think about whether it's Toy Story, whether it's Up. Whether it's Wally, whether it's Finding Nemo, The Incredibles, Ratatouille, I'm not a big fan of Cars, and I actually was I was really disappointed. Yep, by that's, yeah. I was really disappointed by the Good Dinosaur. The, the Good Dinosaur kind of flopped, in my opinion. Yeah. But Inside mm-hmm. Out's a great movie. Even like Monsters Inc., which I'm not a huge fan of, but it's so creative. There's so much imagination mm-hmm. to that. And like with Toy Story and like with The Incredibles, is that it operates on a level which could work in any decade with any age range. And I think that that's why my kids are going to show their kids Inside Out and Toy Story and Finding Nemo. Those are not going to... And they're going to show them Star Wars, and they're going to show them Wizard of Oz. You know, they're, going to, they're the films that survive. And it's so funny that if you ever read Disney War, which is a great book about mm. uh, about the struggles between Michael Eisner and everyone, at one point they were putting tons of pressure on Pixar to make like knockoff sequels. And their attitude was, no, what we're going to do is keep making original films that everyone loves and makes you piles of money. That's our strategy. (laughs) And that's the amazing thing is that for Pixar, when they did finally make sequels, they were pressured into making Toy Story 2. And obviously we'll talk more about that when it comes to it. Right. But it was originally just a direct-to-video cash-in. And then it was so good that they were like, well, let's just make this a feature film that comes out in movies. And it became the biggest box office hit of the year. It made the biggest box office hit of 2000. (laughs) It's such a good movie. Yeah. 
yeah. And then you see where they get that mistake where Cars, which was an okay movie, it, it's no Toy Story, but it's a pretty good movie. And then they decide to make a Cars two. Yeah, because of the tragically the merchandise capability of it. Yeah. And then I cannot imagine a world in which Cars three ends up being good. Or let's not even mention Planes. Well, but planes, was, planes wasn't really them. That was kind of Disney cashing. But but I get you. I think that either way, I've said, and again, I'm getting way ahead of myself here. Toy Story, to my knowledge, is the only trilogy that really stuck the landing. I mean, you can make the argument. Yeah, that's... you can make the argument that the. I would argue that Back to the Future is also a, a pretty. I mean, the second one is a little iffy. So maybe you're right. Yeah, yeah Toy I don't Story like is the probably second. one of the best. I don't like. I hate Back yeah. to the Future too. Back to the Future 3 is charming. Yeah. I hate Back to the Future 2. I thought that The Return of the King was good. Uh, mm, I don't think it, endings, I don't think it yeah. ended yet. I think it's still going on. I left the theater in 2003. <laughs> and I joked that I had a joke saying it had more endings than Clue. Um, it just kept making more, which is for <laughs> movie fans of the 80s. That's a specific joke for you all. But, you know, it was like... It was people were standing up and down. It looked like a Catholic mass after a while. It's like, and we're done. Oh no, we're not. We're not. Okay, he's nope. Sit down. Yep, there's sit a boat. Down, there's down. a boat. And up, oh, nope. And so I mean, like, Return of the Jedi is not as good as Empire Strikes Back or Star Wars. Spider Man Three is nowhere near as good as Spider Man Two. Godfather. 3. Oh God. Ugh. Godfather Three. I will say, I hated Spider Man Three the first time I saw it, and then I watched it with my kids. And if you go into it thinking, God, this film stinks, there's enough moments where it's okay that, you know, you, yeah, I mean, you, brace, you brace for impact. That's mm-hmm. kind of like with the prequels, the Star Wars prequels, yeah. where they're not by any stretch of the imagination good movies, but, like, you watch them with a kid or from a child's perspective, and, like, a kid will still like Jar Jar. My kids love, even my kids love the prequels. My kids love it. It's, it's, <laughs> it's tough to sit through Attack of the Clones, though. That's That one's rough. Oh, oh God. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, Star Wars Minute just wrapped it up, and it was... It, it, yeah. it's, it's such a long movie, and there's so many unneeded scenes and so many cringy parts that... Ugh, yeah. But, you know, th- yeah, what other... I mean, like, I the only other series of movies where I can think of where the first three movies were all of comparable quality were James Bond, where Dr. No is good, from Russia with Love is better, and Goldfinger is the best. But then they went on, there have mm-hmm. been wildly varying sequels after that. You know, some films are great and some mm-hmm. films are Moonraker. Yep. Well, it's it's a <laughs> legacy kind of series where, I mean, you don't have the same people making it. You don't have no. the same actors same playing guy the same as characters. James Bond yeah. is not, yeah. That's, that's, think of, it's kind of like what I think eventually Star Wars might become. It might. It already with is. The, with the I whole, mean, it already yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. In the... Well, at, 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 to this point, at least there's been some like consistency of the same guy always plays Emperor Palpatine. The same guy. I mean, they're going to have to get a different R two D two, I guess. The same guy plays but, Tarkin. But, you know, <laughs> the same guy. Yeah. You know. Oh God. Control C. Control. Maybe they v. won't have to. Yeah. <laughs> but Toy Story. I mean, my personal favorite of the trilogy is the first one just because it set everything up. But you can make an argument mm-hmm. that the second one's the best, and you can make an argument that the third one's mm-hmm. the best, and you can make the argument they're all three equal. And I remember when I saw, I took my kids to see Toy Story 3 at the El Capitan in Los Angeles, and this is when my kids were at the peak. It was my son, well, I had one son who would walk around with his Woody doll, 
and he wrote his name on the bottom of his boot. You know, so if, if, oh, if that doesn't put a tear, and he would just sort of walk around with it. And they would play like they would act out scenes from Toy Story, and nothing in the world was funnier than seeing my kids doing the the claw scene when they're like, "Oh, the claw has chosen me!" <laughs> like I would, I would, that made me laugh for a month. I took them to see Toy Story three, and. Oh my God! I haven't stopped crying, and like, <laughs> just it was just, just waterfall the entire movie, and how brilliant it was that they they did it. And at the end, I remember I called my brother, who's a huge movie fan as well, and I said, "They stuck the landing, they did it, they made it, <laughs> they made." It. And that's why I don't want to see Toy Story four. I'd love to see shorts, like right. you know, little, yeah. little shorts that they put in front of whatever the next film is, but. The idea that they, you know, Woody and everyone, they found the perfect ending. And I'm like just mm. blubbering at the end of that. And I'm now at a point where my kids are starting to outgrow some of their toys and we have to put some of them away. I'm now mad at the film because I'm like, I'm putting away like this little rubber dinosaur and this little stuffed pig that they don't play with anymore. <laughs> and like, I look away no, like, no, little piggy, no, they rent a piggy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh. These are definitely movies for contemplating your own life and your own mortality, and uh it just and you, you can don't do that with Shrek, especially if you're Pixar. You don't do that with Shrek. <laughs> no, you, don't. you don't do that with Ants or Shark Tale or any of this other lousy. Oh God, Shark Tale. You know, like you know, stop it. Just stop it. Okay. Right. You did it. Just let right. Pixar do it. You know. <laughs> you tried. You weren't as good. And, and, and I'll, tell you the, I'll tell you the other thing that drives me bananas. I'm seeing this a little bit like I, I had this going on with the Batman Lego movie and now with this Captain Underpants picture. And I hear people say, it's really funny and it's got heart. It's like they have to drive that in. And if you have to tell... That's not a new thing, yeah. <laughs> if you have to tell people you have heart, then how much heart do you really have? You know, like, yeah. no one said, oh, Toy Story has heart. It just was sincere. It just, it, just it was, heart. it was it. You know, it didn't force it down your throat. And I think that's one of the things that when you see, I mean, nothing is like up. I mean, I, I, I say up is the saving, oh. up is the saving Private Ryan of Pixar films because, you know, Private Ryan just opens with the amazing, uh, you know, well, <laughs> but it opens with the, uh, uh, the D-Day and that just the, the momentum of the D-Day just carries you through the entire movie. Oh. And the opening of Up yep. has is as emotional as the D-Day sequence. And it just oh. pushes you through the entire movie and to the point where all you have to do is say, hey, you remember Up? I'm crying. There you go. That's all you did was say Up. I can't even go in an elevator. It's going up. Boom. Crying. Boom. That's... <laughs> <laughs> you have to. You have to. You just it. play the first five notes. The dee 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 dee, Done. and I just the back of my throat. I'm like Ellie. Right. Uh, nope. No. <laughs> no. Man, we so, should. Um, we should probably go. We're, we're. We should probably go on to the next minute. We should probably go to the next minute at some point. Yeah. Well, do you have any more notes on this specific minute before we before I move oh, on? Let's move on. Let's move on. Let's do it. I do have one thing. Yeah. Which is when Buzz says there's no sign of intelligent life. You see right behind him drawings of Woody, mm -hmm. which any anthropologist will tell you, any person will tell you, that's an obvious sign of intelligent life. Sure is. Self-portraiture. 
Sure is. But I, I mean, that's that's a non that's a non conversation. We're we're getting that's too deep into the that's into too deep. That's too deep. Yeah. You're getting too deep in the rabbit hole. <laughs> People can find your podcast at Sully Baseball. Yep. And do you have anything else you want to plug for now? Or um, I think the two best places you follow me on Twitter at Sully Baseball. I'm doing. I've been doing the podcast since 2012. But I'm going to be relaunching it soon. I think the new name is going to be Sully Baseball Live. I really put my back into the title. And uh, <laughs> and also check out Real Crime Profile. Kids don't check out Real Crime Profile because it's violent. But grown-ups, it's a uh, really intense podcast where we go through some, you know, we go through some very well-known murder cases with, with a couple of people who really know their stuff. And so uh, go check them out in the Wondery Network and on Real Crime Profile on iTunes. Sully Baseball's on iTunes, and just look me up on, on Twitter, at Sully Baseball, and I'm always willing to talk movies. And, of, of course, we are also on Twitter, at Toy Story Minute, and we uh, can be found, of course, on iTunes. Hopefully, if you found us for this recording, then you'll find us for future things. Uh, you can find us on Dueling Genre as well, and uh, I guess we'll see you tomorrow with another Toy Story Minute. Sully, and also listeners, you're my wait. You're my you... favorite deputy. I always forget <laughs> if we say you're my favorite deputy, or we've, you've got a friend in me. You're my favorite deputy. No, I don't. I don't see any deputy. signs of intelligent life on this podcast right now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. We appreciate that. <laughs>